Roy Wood Jr. joins us. Nice to meet you, sir. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm okay. I got a uh, an email about the parameters of things because as a member of the Writers Guild, you're good. You got a deal. As a member of SAG, everybody's still on strike. So what is it like as a writer to have the permission to write again, but as an actor, everything's still on a question mark? You can't do one without standing with the other period, point blank. So, you know, and I know SAG-AFTRA's hit a bit of a snag in their negotiations, you know, but I do think that the writers getting a deal helps to set the parameters to help the actors get a deal as well. So, you know, the only thing I can compare it to, I don't know if like you and a friend are like both waiting. It's like flying standby and one of you gets a seat. And now you're on the plane and you're waiting to see if your friend's going to get on before they close the door. (laughs) The plane can't take off until your friend gets on. So it's that feeling right now. But, you know, we we definitely, you know, the Writers Guild stands with SAG-AFTRA and the actors. What we have to also remember is that the actors are negotiating for things that are a little different from the deal with the writers. So there's different deal points and negotiations that they have to figure out with regards to residuals and how AI is used visually versus how AI is used in a thought conception capacity. You know, like how do we create something versus how do we shoot something with AI? Those are two totally different technologies. And so figuring that out and figuring out a way that's just like, how do you adjudicate a technology that's still evolving that we don't fully understand yet? And I think that's where they're trying to put protections in place for the actors to make sure that, you know, that everybody gets fairly compensated and you don't get your image jacked. Yeah. And get used into perpetuity in the background of a CW comedy. The waiter number four in 20 different movies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was talking with uh, John Rogers, who's on the board of directors of the Writers Guild, and he brought up the issue of AI. And uh, a lot of my listeners said, oh, please, how is AI going to interfere with script writing? And of course, in a million ways, it's possible. And the worst scenario I have to think as a writer would be you use AI to generate a script and then you hand it to a legit writer and say, fix this. Yeah. Yeah. Which means, hey, create this. Fix this from scratch. So they're trying to take the job of writer and change it from home builder to interior designer like that's what's happening or that's what they're attempting to do use ai to build out the basic structure of the home and then have writers come in and flower up every different room or whatever not realizing the fact that the ingenuity that ai is using was also created at one point by a writer because you're instructing and you're teaching ai using creations that came from the human mind. And if we're not careful, Hollywood is going to look like those neighborhoods that all have the same house with the same layout (laughs) and the same homeowners association rules where, you know, I, I would assume you have that type of tyranny in Canada where you get a letter from your, from your association. Hey, your, your garage hose is the wrong color. We've all agreed to have brown hoses. Get that ugly green hose. Like So it's that type of the creative process of making films will eventually be modular if you allow that to continue. I think that's what the writers are fighting back against is how are you going to have new ideas and new franchises and new things that are cool? You know, I, I just don't know if that's possible 
relying solely on a machine that's learning intuitively from human beings. You have written for late night political shows or shows with a political bent, I could say. Uh, you yeah, also did the White, show, yeah. Yeah, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I wonder, and you probably get this question all the time, but it just seems that everybody's angry about everything now. So, and then, yes. then they have this false equivalence where if you're going to make fun of Joe Biden, then now you got to go make fun of uh, a Republican and everybody just gets all worked up. So the White House Correspondent Dinner, which you knocked out of the park, still has to be somewhat of a fraught affair. Oh, yeah, because there's half the room, even if we were in good times pre-Obama era correspondence dinner, there's still half the room that's going to hate your guts. That's comedy when you're at when you're operating at that altitude with people of that level of prominence and perceived importance. Yeah, you think that you're above a joke, so you're going to be angry. There were tables that walked out when Joe Biden was on stage before I even got there. They stayed for the entire function until it was time for the president to speak, and they got up and left. That's the stuff I wish the cameras would have shown. But of course, it would have taken away from Biden's message and the jokes and the people who were enjoying the evening. So, you know, a lot of that's up to C-SPAN and the story that you choose to tell, because there were essentially two things happening in that room at one time. There's people present and there's people there as a form of resistance to what's happening. You know, that part of it. You resign yourself to. Thankfully, as a comedian, I've performed in rooms where the entire room hated me before. So half is a treat. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that. I've done. I've been booed the Apollo, man. Really? Under what circumstances? I'm not scared. Under comedic circumstances. (laughs) (laughs) Attempted comedic circumstances. This is 2002 when I did Showtime with the Apollo. It did not go well. It did not go well at all. You just know to stand tall, stay in the pocket and do your jokes, because there's also part of you that is performing for the people at home. And I think that part of it is important because as a comedian, to a degree, you're there to represent the voice of the people. Like when, and, and when other what other time is a regular person allowed to just talk to the president? Just straight up talk to him. And the president can't say anything back. We've agreed you're not going to cut my microphone. <laughs> what do you do? Like, there's nothing. You have to be able to say something of meaning and something that matters to the people in the room because you are, to a degree, in my opinion, you're representing the American public as well. I thought you had some really interesting observations about not the state of comedy, but what technology and the internet and other things have been doing to comedy in the last few years. And one aspect would certainly be, I love long form comedy. I like somebody getting up and doing 90 minutes and telling stories and taking me in one place and another and maybe go to a serious spot and then come back. And nowadays, you know, even Lauren Michaels knows that on Sunday morning, people are going to watch maybe five minutes of Saturday Night Live on YouTube. Yeah. Everything with television, if we're not careful, becomes tomorrow's Internet today. If you're not careful, that's what television will become. It's just a place to watch everything all together before it's all compartmentalized into its own little bite sized portions. You know, I really feel like there's a degree of responsibility to television creators and producers to to fight back against that because just because that is what's working for tech 
I think that the human mind and I think that human beings are capable of adjusting viewing habits. I think they're very capable of that. But it, it, it is what it is right now. I think I think where the tide will potentially turn is if the streamers eventually start mimicking cable more and more. And that depends on what happens post-strike based on how much more money you have to pay the actors and how you adjust your production costs. So if you're going to start throwing commercials in the middle of Netflix streaming shows and Hulu shows, that's cable, my friend. If you're going to start releasing shows weekly so you can drag out viewership instead of the binge model, that's cable, my friend. That's appointment viewing. So once we're back to some degree of appointment viewing, then that's going like the thing after that will become all right to watch the episode on Tuesday. Give us an extra dollar. Otherwise, you get it tomorrow. Like that'll be the next paywall progression. Right. I just think if television slowly gets back to appointment viewing to some degree, then maybe we're back in that space. But it's hard. You know, I also think with American television, a lot of this is going to come down to sports coverage. And yep. if the streamers get sports and they take that away from the broadcast networks, then the broadcast networks are in a world of trouble because live events are the one thing that still keep television relevant. It's sports, it's award shows, maybe breaking news to some degree, you know, if that's your cup of tea. Right. A shared experience. So, Correct. That's those are the things. So once that shared experience goes to streaming or the National Football League or the NBA, they put everything on their own subscription based channel. Then it's going to be especially when you're talking about television networks that don't have secondary revenue streams like Amazon or Apple. They don't have side cash coming in from selling other stuff other than entertainment IP. That's hard to compete with. I don't know which way this ends up, but I do know that for now, if you want eyeballs, you have to think about how this is going to be watched live, but also creating the dual experience of what this looks like broken down, you know, on the Internet. As somebody who deals with current events and politics, how does it affect your work that real life is almost as insane as comedy now? We've got Donald Trump. Uh, we got a guy who allegedly enabled the molestation of wrestlers running for Speaker of the House. It's There's a lot of crazy out there. Yeah, I mean, there, there is. There, there's, the world of politics is interesting in that there's always going to be something wild to talk about every day. I mean, even when I get to Canada at some point, I want to explore the fact that you have a single like your leader is single. Like that's just fascinating to me. Like, and everybody's okay with this. Like, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with my leader being on Tinder in the middle of foreign diplomatic <laughs> negotiations. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's what Trudeau's doing. I'm just saying I would feel more comfortable if we could just appoint a girlfriend for the remainder <laughs> of his term. Just somebody just so i can feel comfortable that he's focusing on the job and not checking his dms <laughs> every blue moon so you know every every leader every, every leader is dealing with their own thing but I, I just think that there's the idea of doing what you can to keep this light 
with American politics without losing sight of the fact that these really are the people that are making the laws and appointing the judges that are setting the standards for what will be generations of legal precedent to come. And that's effing horrifying. So, you know, I choose to try and find ways to laugh about it a little bit. But, you know, when you look at how divisive we are as a society now, this is not going to be a pretty election in 2024 in America. You're right. We agree on nothing. We can't even choose sides between Will and Jada, (laughs) let alone gun control. Like, like there's nothing Americans won't argue about. That's the one thing we love doing now is arguing. Well, she's on her third interview with Hoda, so it's already reached comic levels. (laughs) Just before I let you go, is it a Wikipedia blip, or do you actually have a half-brother with the same name? Yes, I do. How did that happen? My my dad's on his George Foreman nonsense. But... (laughs) Legally, I'm Junior because my middle name is the same. Yeah. But he is also Roy Elwood, who was also a journalist. (laughs) So, yeah. Thanks a lot for this. Looking forward to seeing you in Canada. Absolutely. Thank you.